0: Welcome and thanks for listening to the New Life Christian Ministries podcast. If you'd like more information about New Life or for more podcasts and other media, go to newlifexn.org. Good morning. Wow, can we turn those lights just up a little bit? Thank you. I like to see the people out there. Uh, I'm Pastor Chris. I'm the lead pastor here at New Life, and uh, we're glad you're here. If you're a first-time guest, we've been waiting for you for 15 years. That's the truth. We started New Life to reach people in our community, in our region, who maybe had sort of given up on church or maybe never tried church. Um, And we're glad that you're here. We had the coffee ready uh, long before you got here this morning. Hopefully there were some good treats beside the coffee. But why we're here is to share, grow, and live the new life of Jesus Christ with the world one person at a time. And uh, we do that not just on Saturday night Sunday mornings, but throughout the week. And I had an interesting experience uh, Friday morning. I went down to the South Hills Village Mall with Nancy, and uh, the reason we went is because my Apple computer broke, and uh, the only place where I could get it fixed on Labor Day was the South Hills Village Mall, and so I was going to pick it up, and I had my big iMac box because they told me to bring the box with me, and I'm standing there in the food area waiting for Nancy to come out from the restroom, and this older guy walks out from the restroom. When I say older guy, I'm saying he was probably in his upper 80s, okay? So anyway, he walks up to me. He says, good morning. I said, good morning. He goes, you know, there's a lot of people in line already. iPhone 7 came out today. I said, oh, he goes, did I see you on television last night? I said, maybe, you know. And he said, yeah, I think I saw you on television. He goes, you look just like you do. He said, (laughs) it it must be my HDTV. (laughs) I thought, okay, I look as good in real life as I do in HDTV. But actually, um, I had never been on television before. Uh, It was called Real... Real life uh, on Channel 40 on the Christian television station uh, down in Wall, Pennsylvania. Anyway, I showed up a week ago Wednesday, actually it was a pre-recorded show. Uh, and uh, so I showed up on Wednesday morning and I went in for makeup, and I had never done that before. And uh and, and the, the the lady there had never done it before either. She the lady who did my makeup, she was a new lady, first day on a job, you know. <laughs> And so I said, I was trying to make her feel comfortable. I said, you know, I'm on Word FM every week. Once a month, I'm on uh, Ask the Pastor. I said, John and Kathy tell me I have a great face for radio. (laughs) And she didn't laugh. I thought, oh, man, (laughs) we're in trouble. We're in trouble. But we're talking about work today. Um, And and so that lady, she actually, I don't know if you think she did a good job. I I think I probably looked about as good as I do or as bad as I do. However, you know, I think she did a good job. But, you know, we're going to talk about work today. And a couple weeks ago, Pastor Brad talked about work on Labor Day weekend. And his title was Work for Glory. And the point of his message was that we don't work for our own glory, we work for the glory of God. And if you know, a lot of people wouldn't think that way. They think that, that you know, work is so that they can, you know, earn money or so they can be famous or whatever it might be, but our work is for God's glory. And he said the reason we work for God's glory Uh, You know, God created us and he called us to work in the very fabric of creation. Work is part of our life before sin entered the world. And then he says that God gifts us for our work. And then he said that God gives us the ability to help others through our work. And he talked about how when we work in good, hard, honest work with diligence and excellence, it brings glory to God. And I want you to hold that in mind, although we're going to go a little different direction today as we continue our Engage series. And today's message is titled Engage Your Work. And as we talk about that, we're not going to just talk about, I mean, I hope that you'll always remember that as you go to work, whatever your work may be, whether it's, you know, rearing your children in your home or whether it's working outside of the home or whether you're a student in school, whatever your work, that you will do it for the glory of God. But today we're going to talk about how as we do our daily work, that we engage God's work In the world, That's going to be the focus today. In fact, that's our take-home point for this morning. And for those of you who are new, we seek to make just one point every week. We believe if we would make that point and take it home and pray about it and reflect on it and then live it out in the power of the Holy Spirit, that we will change and people around us will change. And if we do that 52 times a year, there will be a lot of change. And so that's why we have a take-home point, which simply says this. All our work is an opportunity to engage God's work with others. All our work is an opportunity to engage God's work with others. And when I say all our work, what I mean is that our work ought to engage God's work, which we talked about what that is last week, and actually it was just up on the screen again, which is to participate in God's redemptive plan on the earth. Now. God's redemptive plan is really simple. We mess things up big time here. God made a perfect universe, a perfect world for us to live on, two perfect people. And those two perfect people decided that perfect wasn't good enough, and so they sinned. Sin is simply turning against the will of God, and they broke the world. They broke themselves, they broke the world, and it's been just sort of snowballing ever since. And so what God decided to do, instead of giving up on us, is to redeem us. To, to redeem us from sin and death. And redeem means to pay the, the, the cost of, re, of freedom from slavery. So we were slaves to sin and death. And so God's redemptive plan was to send Jesus, which he did 2,000 years ago, to live a perfect life as a human being. He's God, but he also is human. He lived a perfect life that we couldn't live. And then he died on the cross to pay the penalty that we owed for, for our sin, which is death. And then he rose from the dead, and now he's in heaven waiting to return. And he sent his Holy Spirit to everyone who believes. So that's God's redemptive plan. So how do we participate in God's redemptive plan? Well, first, we have to receive it. We have to receive Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord in our lives, and then we share that with others. And the primary way that we do that most of the time is through our work. So think about that. How do we spend or invest most of our time? If you're younger, you might invest most of your time in school. And so we would say that if you're a student, that your work is school. And you have schoolwork. And I always say, you know, my kids used to say, I have some homework tonight. I said, no, you don't. You have schoolwork. Homework is like, you know, vacuuming the rug, washing the dishes. That's homework. But schoolwork is the math and science and those kind of things. So you have schoolwork that you're doing at home. It's not homework. Okay, so anyway, that's sermon for another day. But anyway... We would, we would talk about that, and, and so for 18 years, and then actually for four more years for them, they did schoolwork. That was their work. Now, some of you rear their, your children at home. That's your daily work. Some of us work out in the world. That's our daily work. And whatever we do, the best way that we can engage God's work with others, this redemptive plan that God has to bring all people to himself through his son Jesus Christ, is by our daily work. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 9 today. And and as we do that, we are going to see what Jesus told the disciples, the 12 guys that he left to take over his work when he left the earth, um, how they were going to engage God's work. Now, the disciples had a a very specific kind of work, and and we would call it ministry or mission. And and there are a handful of us, you know, out of all of us who follow Jesus Christ, who do that full-time ministry work as pastors, as missionaries, uh, you know, as church educators, those kind of things. But most of us don't do that. But we're going to read what Jesus told them, and by implication, we're going to see what he told all of us. So that's what we're going to do today. If you would, please turn with me to Matthew chapter 9, if you have your Bible or your Bible app, or it'll be up on the screen. But before we get to God's word today, let's pray together. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, I thank you so much that you love us, and that even though we rejected you, you didn't ever reject us. I thank you today, God, that you have given us good, meaningful work to do. And it's all different kinds of work, but God, as long as it honors you, brings you glory, it's it's your work. And so today, as we turn to your word, we ask that you would open it to our minds, to our hearts, to our spirits. God, by your Holy Spirit, open our spirit to hear the thing, that one thing that we need today to know you better, to love you more, to serve you more effectively. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So. We're told by Matthew uh, in chapter 9, verse 35 Jesus traveled through all the towns and villages of that area, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. So Jesus was clear about his work. His work in the world was to teach, to preach, to heal and to cast out demons. And and he also knew that that work would be a very short-lived work. He had been a carpenter for a long time. Now he did this ministry work for three years, and he knew it was going to be about three years, and then he was going to go back to heaven. While he was here, he knew that he was called to stay in a specific geographic area. He only um, served in Israel. He never went anywhere else outside of his native country. And, And then he also knew that when he left, he needed to have people ready to continue the work After he went back to heaven, after he died on the cross and rose from the dead, there needed to be people ready to continue the work. And these 12 guys, he's going to talk to them in a moment here. But I want you to understand something that's really, really important. And that is this work of teaching, preaching, healing and casting out demons, Jesus has entrusted to you and me. To you and me. And I know that because at the end of Jesus' life, after he died on the cross and rose from the dead and spent 40 days with the disciples and some other folks, he went back to heaven. But before he went back to heaven, he talked to the, the disciples one last time and he told them that all authority in heaven and earth was given to him. And therefore, they were supposed to go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and teaching them to do everything that he had commanded and that he would be with us forever. So here's what I want you to... In fact, it's going to be up on the screen because it's so important. When Jesus left the earth, he transferred his authority to us. That's what he did in the Great Commission. He called us to make disciples of all the nations. And by implication, our work is to engage the world in Jesus' name. He wants us to use, he wants to use us to radically transform people's lives. So look at that paragraph. Two paragraphs it is up there, but it's really one paragraph. It says basically that God has given us... Jesus has given us his authority... So when you wake up in the morning and you start tending to your children or you you start going, you know, go off to school or you go off to work, whatever it is that you do, whether you're an electrician or a teacher or whether you're a clerk in a store, whatever you do, God has given you his authority to speak into people's lives. In fact, the word authority in Greek is Azusius, and it really means the right to speak. That I have the right to speak to you this morning, not because I have the right to speak to you, but because Jesus has entrusted it to me. And you have the right to speak in your workplace, in your school, not because of any law or or whatever, but because of the, the law of God, if you will, because of his authority. So we have that authority to speak into people's lives through our daily work. And as we do that, God wants to use us to radically transform other people. Isn't that amazing that God would use us? And he does. And so let's continue to see what happens next. The next thing it says is this. When he, that is Jesus, saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus looked at the crowds and he said they were confused and helpless. Now, we're the same. We might not think so, but we're confused and helpless. Without Jesus, we're pretty much confused and helpless. And down through the ages, down through the last 2,000 years, there have always been people who said, not me. I'm not confused. I'm not helpless. In fact, I'm actually, you know, I'm pretty sharp. I don't really need God. I don't need his forgiveness. I don't need his salvation. And there seem to be more and more people like that across the world but particularly in our culture people who say human beings are supreme and so this supremacy of humanity idea is out there it's big time out there in our world today but also there are some who have come to the conclusion there is no God but since there's no God there's just no meaning in life I mean and that's at least an honest assessment if there's no God there is no meaning in life and some people have come to that conclusion so one group of that type of people say well let's eat drink and be merry for tomorrow we die Another group have become sort of stoic. And, and what that means is, you know, keep a stiff upper lip, you know, work hard. I don't know why, but work hard and do the best you can. And, you know, when hard things come, deal with them like, you know, men and women. And, and so you have that. And then you just have other people who are just out there existing. They really don't think about whether, you know, human beings are supreme or God is supreme or is a God. What a God. They don't really care. They just know we're at the top of the food chain, so it's pretty good if you're a human being. And that's what they do. So Jesus saw us. This is really powerful. He saw us as people created in his own image. (laughs) Jesus didn't, I mean, he, he saw that we were like sheep without a shepherd, lost and confused. But he knew that inside of us, we were people. We were created in his image and his desire was for us to regain that. And so he had compassion on them. In fact, that, that's the main reason why he did what he did, why he taught and preached and healed and cast out demons, because he wanted us to see what life was always intended to be and, and not how it really was and how it really is. You know, I mean, do you think, did you ever stop the think about this? We weren't supposed to ever get sick. We weren't created to be sick people, but sin brought sickness to the world. And I'm not saying if you're sick, you're sinning. I'm saying that because because there's sin, there's sickness. And we weren't created to, to be evil. We were created to be good. And, in fact, God saw the first two people and said, it's very good. But the thing is, we rejected that. And so there's evil because we've rejected the good. And God had a plan, and Jesus knew that plan. And so he had compassion on everybody. And that's why he did what he did and why people were so amazed by his wisdom and his power and his compassion. Then the next thing it says in the next verse is he said to his disciples, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. The harvest is great, but the workers are few. So first he calls us sheep. Now he calls us, you know, a harvest. He sort of like grains of wheat or corn or whatever. And he says, 2,000 years ago, he said, look around, (laughs) look at these crowds. People are just waiting to to receive that life that's truly life that I came to give. It's like a harvest field that's already ripe, But what the problem is, not enough workers. You see, there aren't enough workers. And, And then look what he says. Finally, he says this. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest and ask him to send more workers in the field. So what Jesus is doing is he's saying, look. We need more workers. We need more people who understand that God's redemptive plan is to have me. And He hasn't died yet, but He knows it's coming very shortly. And He's training these, these guys. And there were women in the group, too. But there were 12 guys that got the, you know, we're going to see in a minute, who got to be called out as the disciples. But there were, there were, you know, as many as 500, most biblical scholars believe, who were traveling around with Jesus all the time, learning His ways and getting ready to unleash the good news. On the world whenever the time was right. And so Jesus is saying, pray for God to send workers, because there's not enough. And there's never there have never been enough workers. And, and the interesting thing to me is what Jesus does next. Uh, it's, it's one thing for us to pray. And we must pray. You know, prayer is not a substitute for action, it's an action for which there's no substitute. And Jesus told the disciples, Pray for workers. But In the very next verse, look what it says. Jesus called his 12 disciples together and gave them authority to cast out evil spirits and to heal every kind of disease and illness. Does that sound like somebody you know? That's like Jesus, right? So what Jesus did was gave his disciples the ability to do what he could do. And it says, the names of the 12 apostles, first, Simon, also called Peter, Andrew, Peter's brother, James, son of Zebedee, John, James' brother, Philip, Bartholomew, Thomas, Matthew, the tax collector, James, son of Elpheus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who later betrayed him. And it says, Jesus sent out the 12 apostles with these instructions. Don't go to the Gentiles or the Samaritans, but only to the people of Israel, God's lost sheep. Go and announce to them that the kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cure those with leprosy, and cast out demons. Give as freely as you have received. So Jesus tells these guys that they're supposed to pray that God will send more workers, and then he sends them out. So when you start praying for God to use you in your work, for God to send more workers, guess what he's going to do? He's going to send you out. He's going to send me out. That's what Jesus that's what God does. God first of all uses who he has. So God is always looking for more workers. But he also always uses the workers that he already has. And that's what we learn from this passage of Scripture. So the implications of this passage of Scripture are whatever we do, if we know Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord, we're supposed to engage God's work in our daily work. I once knew a carpenter. He was a young man in his early 20s, and he was a carpenter. And what he did every day when he went to work he, um, he did the best he could do. And in fact, he was always seeking to learn more. He was trying to figure out everything about the carpentry trade and everything he did, he did to the best of his ability because he knew that how he worked reflected his relationship with Jesus Christ. And he wanted everybody to understand how much he loved Jesus Christ, so he worked really hard. And whenever he would work really hard, some of the other workers would say, you know, we don't really work that hard around here. And he would say, I do. And they would say, why? And he would say, because I'm working for God. That's not, you know, I'm not working for, you know, the boss. I'm working for God. And they didn't really get that. But, you know, and if they wanted to know more, the young man would talk with them. But if, and if not, he would just go back to working hard. And then the, the homeowners, you know, would sometimes say, hey, you know, you, you really work hard. And, and then I would say, yeah, because I want to bring glory to God in all I do. And if they picked up on that, then he would talk with them about God. If not, he would just go back to working hard. And the reason I know this young man is because I was the young man. I was the young man who had a job doing carpentry work. I loved carpentry work. In fact, I still love carpentry work because, you know, I would show up at the job site and there would be nothing there. And when we would leave that day, there would be, a, a, you know, a, a floor poured for, that, for whatever a room or a house or whatever. Then the next day we would put walls up and the next day we'd put a roof up. And it was, it was amazing. You had nothing and then you had something. And you could always see that. And, and if you did your work well, people noticed because I don't know if you noticed, but a lot of people don't do their job that well. And so, you know, as, as you did that, I went home every night and I would go to bed and I'd say, God, thank you for the opportunity for good hard work. I might not use those exact words, but for the opportunity, you know, to build that house, to put on those shingles, to do whatever I did that day. And, and as, as we worked together, as this team worked together, um, it was really interesting how there was this interplay back and forth between us. And, and the thing is, the devil doesn't want us to enjoy our work. The devil wants us to really be miserable at work. The devil wants us to think that what we do doesn't really matter. Maybe we're staying home rearing our children, and the devil wants us to think that, oh, I should be out there in the world doing something. Or maybe we're out in the world doing something, and and we say, well, you know, all I'm doing is. And you can fill in the blank with what all you are doing is. I mean, some days I had to dig ditches. I'm not a big fan of digging ditches, to be honest. You know, it gives you blisters on your hand and makes your back hurt. But at the end of the day, you have to dig the ditch so you can pour the footer. So you can pour the floor so you can build the house, you know. So sometimes you have to do things that don't seem that much fun. But if you're doing it to God's glory, it doesn't still make it fun, but it makes it better. And so as, as we think about it, the devil wants us to be those lost sheep who are disoriented, who, who are deceived, who, you know, who, who die easy, and who never get to have the joy of our work. And then the other thing the devil will do is, if he can't get us to not enjoy our work, what he'll do is get us to enjoy our work too much, And sometimes what he'll do is he'll get us to think, you know, I'm so good at my job. I mean, God couldn't do it as well as me. You see, that's pride. So you have pride at the one end of the spectrum. And at the other end of the spectrum, you have this sort of, you know, this sense that it doesn't even matter. And either way, the devil wins. But when we do good, hard work, whatever it is, you know, whatever it is, it's good, honest, hard work. We bring glory to God. Go back to two weeks ago. If you didn't see that message, go online and watch it. But today, it opens up doors So that we can share the good news of Jesus. And sometimes all that will happen is we just get the satisfaction of doing good hard work. Because, you know, God, or Jesus, who is God, said to the disciples that we're supposed to pray for the Lord of the harvest to bring the harvest, right? The fruit, we could say a harvest is a fruit. If it's apples, it would be fruit, right? And so Paul the Apostle said... That the fruit of our life in the Holy Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And as we go about our work, if the Holy Spirit is in us and we demonstrate those things, love, joy, peace, all of those nine attributes of the fruit of the Spirit, people will notice that too. Because there's not a lot of people at work that are joyful. In fact, Pastor Brad said a couple weeks ago when he did his sermon that a lot of people, when they hear the word work, and it's like... Uh, most people actually in America do that. Most people in America don't like their work. In fact, a lot of people in America hate their work. And I believe it's because we don't understand what we're doing. We don't understand. We're not working for some man or woman. We're working for God. We don't understand that by what we do and how we do it, we can open up a door to God's redemptive plan in somebody's life. It might be our coworker. In fact, I had 2 coworkers when I was a carpenter. They weren't Christians. And they knew I was a Christian. I wasn't bragging about it. I didn't, you know, I wasn't one of those religious people. I'm still not one of those religious people. We'll talk about that in a minute. But what they would try to do is they would try to get me to curse. They would try to get me to engage in their lewd conversations. They would try to get me to, to not work as hard. They would try to get me to get angry, which wasn't all that hard to do back in those days, because something didn't go right, because they knew I was a Christian. And if, if I did any of those things, what they thought was I would just prove I wasn't a Christian. Now, I'm not saying I passed every test. I didn't. But I passed a lot of tests, and they enjoyed working with me. Number one, I worked harder than they did, so they didn't have to work so hard. Number two, they enjoyed working with me because I was sort of funny. You know, I could see the, the humor in things, and a lot of times at my own expense. And so they enjoyed that. And one of them, actually, I found out many years later, became a believer. And I'm not saying it was because of me, but I am saying that I didn't give him a reason not to believe in Jesus by the way I worked. And that we certainly at least should do that. Not give, we shouldn't give people a reason to not believe in Jesus by how we work. And so what I was saying a moment ago about I wasn't religious and I'm still not religious, and you're thinking, you're a preacher. You've got to be religious. No, I don't have to be religious because religious means that you think you have it all down and you think that you're better than everybody else. Religious means that by your rituals and traditions, you think that God is going to give you a gold star on your forehead. God isn't giving us a gold star on our forehead because of anything we do. If we get a gold star on our forehead or a crown on our head, it's because of what Jesus did. That's the whole point. You know, God's redemptive plan on the earth is to free us from sin and death. And part of sin and death is, is religion. And in that sense of the Pharisaical kind of people, you know... Think about this. Everybody loved Jesus back in the day. Back in the day when Jesus was walking on the earth, people invited him to weddings. They invited him to dinner parties. They invited him to all kinds of different parties. People were there like tax collectors and prostitutes and the general population that wasn't considered too well and then ordinary people, and they all loved Jesus. The only people that didn't love Jesus were the religious people because Jesus didn't act religious. He didn't wear the right clothes. He didn't, you know, didn't talk the right way. And he certainly, I mean, he called God Father. That, thats just, You can't do that. That's too personal. And, and so they didn't really like it. Not only did they not really like it, they eventually crucified him because he was so different, so radically different. And, and there was just this fruit in his life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And that's what we are called to live out in our life. So I'm going to give you three quick ways when you go to work tomorrow, go to school tomorrow, stay at home tomorrow, and rear your children tomorrow, whatever it is that you're going to be doing, or even this afternoon, three quick ways that we can make sure that we engage God's work through our work. And the first one is simply this. Always remember you're working for God. Always remember you're working for God. One of the reasons why some of us find it hard to have a smile on our face at work is because we think we're working for Attila the Hun. We're not. We're, even if we are, we're not. We're, we're working for God. You know, sometimes we, we think that we're just working for these little children who don't, you know, give us very much affirmation. But we're not. We're working for God. We, we think that, oh, I'm retired now. I don't have a job. Yes, you do. You're working for God. Because we never stop working for God. And as long as we understand that, that we are working for God, then by doing the things that Pastor Brad talked about in his message a couple weeks ago, by hearing God's call in our life and living out God's giftedness in our life and by helping other people through what we do, including our own families, you know, we are showing people that there is a God who has a son whose name is Jesus. And we're showing them, eventually we'll have to tell them. But but we won't get to tell them if we don't first show them. The second thing that we need to do is we need to have compassion on others. They are sheep without a shepherd unless Jesus is their Lord. Then they are our family members. You see, when we work with people who aren't believers, we should not be surprised when they don't act like believers. Believers ought to act like Jesus. Non-believers ought to act however they want to. So when I go to work, and when I used to do carpentry work with two guys who weren't believers, when they acted like jerks, that was okay with me because they were. Now, that sounds pretty harsh because not all non believers are jerks, but they were jerks sometimes. I mean, they did stuff to me that would make a Christian, even a preacher maybe, you know, be a little upset. I know about that now because I am a preacher. But over time, they stopped doing those things. Because I didn't react that way. They are people. That's the hard thing. The hard thing for us to remember is everybody's a person. Jesus remembered that. That's why he had compassion on everybody. Because he didn't see an object. He didn't see a coworker who's a jerk. He didn't see a classmate who you know, doesn't deserve my time. He didn't see a teacher who was just mean. He didn't see, Jesus didn't see any of that. He didn't see people as objects or as cogs in the machine or tools to my objective. He saw people hurting broken people. And that's why he died on the cross for us, because we're hurting broken people. And then once we receive that new life, that redemption, then we're supposed to become brothers and sisters, right? We're all followers of Jesus Christ. And we all know that it doesn't always work out that way, that even our brothers and sisters can give us a pain where a pill won't reach sometimes, right? Let's be honest. We know that that's the case. But they're people, too. And we need to love them and encourage them. And so the third thing that we can do is pray. I know that sounds like, you know, that's the Christian answer to everything, just pray. Well, guess what? It is the Christian answer to everything. As I already said, prayer is not a substitute for action. It's an action for which there's no substitute. If your boss is not a very nice person, pray for your boss. Do the best work that you can do. Remember, you're not working for your boss, you're working for God. Remember that you need to show compassion because your boss doesn't get it. And even, especially if he's a Christian or she's a Christian and acts like a, a jerk, you know, if you do your work to the best of your ability and the power of the Holy Spirit, eventually a door might open for you to say, ma'am, sir, you know, you and I are brothers, brother, sister, whatever, you know, and, 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 and you're, not, you're not really helping the cause. And I know that would be a hard conversation, But that kind of conversations will transform the world. you got to pray first. got to obey that kind of conversation in prayer, right? So when we do those three things, what will happen is people will notice. In the workplace, in school, at home, people will notice. And over time, what happens when we work as unto the Lord, people say, Wow, you work so hard. You work so well. And that will open up the door to engage that conversation. Or over time, what will happen is people will say, I mean, I've actually had this happen in my life where somebody has come to me and said, you know, I treated you like, you know, I didn't treat you very nice, but you treated me well. Why? (laughs) There's the door. That's all we're looking for is that door, right? Because Jesus said we need to be workers and we need to pray for workers. And then the other thing is, as we pray for people, you will be amazed sometimes how people change. And they don't even know you're praying for them. That's sort of the cool thing. It's like, you know, you're like in God's secret service and you're praying and praying and praying. And then one day this person who's always been the person that you really don't even want to work with suddenly comes and says, you know, my life is so broken. And I don't know. I I, I see something different in you. And there it is. There's that open door. And so here's the commitment for today. I will engage my work to God's glory this week. I will engage my work to God's glory this week. See, I sort of picked up Brad's theme and I picked up my theme, and they're both God's theme. Because as we work unto the Lord, we're giving God glory, and as we work unto the Lord, what we do is we have this opportunity to engage God's work through our work. And here's the thing I want to ask everybody this morning. If you have not yet trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord, which means owner. It means he's the boss of your life. If you haven't yet trusted him as Savior, meaning that he has redeemed you or paid the penalty for your sin and and the ultimate penalty of death, because once you die, you get to go and be with Jesus forever once he becomes Savior and Lord of your life. If you've never done that, you can't do any of these things we've talked about this morning because it requires his presence in our life through the Holy Spirit to be able to do them. So if you haven't, I would encourage you, why not today? Why not take a moment right now and just say, God, I I haven't done your work because I haven't even believed in you. But now, because of what the preacher's saying today, it makes sense. It makes sense that there is meaning and purpose, and the reason why maybe my life is the way it is is because of me. And so I give me over to you, and I ask you to become my Savior and Lord. And if you have trusted Jesus as your Savior and Lord, and you have work, whether it's being a student, or working in a home, or working out in the the world, or you're retired and so you have some time that you can allocate however you want to. How is your commitment of your head, of your heart, and your hands demonstrating to others that you belong to Jesus, that you're a worker for Him? Because the harvest is ready and there still aren't enough workers. And And when you and I work to God's glory, when you and I engage our work as God's work, it will change us. And the ripple effect of that is it will change our schools and our homes and our workplaces, our community, our region, our nation, the world. That's the plan. The plan has never changed. And Jesus said, We need more workers. So we need to go out. If we already are workers, then let's be workers and let's pray for more. If we aren't yet workers, why not right now? Because it's the best job there is. The best job in the world is whatever you do, to do it as unto the Lord and not to humanity. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for who you are. We thank you so much that you are the great God above all gods that you are the one true and living God, and that your son Jesus has given us an offer that we can have a life that is truly life, meaningful and purposeful, that we can overcome the works of the devil in our life and we can work for you. God, we pray today. I pray for any who just now trusted you for the very first time as Savior and Lord, that you would fill them with your Holy Spirit. And I would pray for all of us who have not yet given our lives over in the workplace that right now we would do that. We would commit to doing that, and this afternoon or tomorrow, the next time we go to school work or just minister to our children, that we would do it to your glory and to your honor. Fill us with your spirit, that we can fulfill these commitments in Jesus' name. Amen.